This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas and welcome to our podcast. And today I'm joined by our Africa and LNG editor, Ed Reid, who's coming to us from a hotel room in Glasgow. Ed, can you tell the, the folks at home what you're up to? Yeah, well, I would like to say that I'm coming to you from sunny Glasgow, but, uh, but sadly the, uh, the weather gods have not been smiling on me. Uh, and so it's mostly rain. Um, but yes, yeah, so I've been I've been here um, uh, moderating at, a, at, a, at a, an event we put on yesterday uh, about green heat. So um, came and sort of uh, did a bit of uh, bit of bit of talking about uh, heat pumps and that sort of thing. Uh, took the took the mood on hydrogen. You know, it was it was ticking all the boxes. That sounds great. I mean, two things I always tell people about you: one, majestic facial hair; two, he loves green heat. Um, so that that's it. Yeah. I mean. That's just how I live my life. <laughs> that's your lifestyle and that's your choice, and I, I respect it. Um, okay, so we've got a bumper pod for you today. HSE, a tsunami of strike action. But first, we will turn our eye to Mozambique. Listeners might remember Total Energies declared a force majeure there a couple of years ago after terror attacks. But some, well, some positive signs seem to be emerging now, Ed. Indeed, indeed. So, um, as, as as you say, the, the sort of the security issue has has really long kind of delayed uh, sort of progress. I mean, going back, you know, some years there were you know these these, these major gas finds uh, offshore northern Mozambique in the uh, in the Rubiuma Basin uh, off the Cabo Delgado province. And um, the you know so development was going ahead. Total was uh, Total bought in and, and and was you know sort of uh, making progress on this 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 massive LNG plant. And then, as you say, Alistair, there was a, there was a terror attack on a, on a nearby town, and um, everything ground to a halt. Obviously, you know they couldn't carry on with uh, with, with operations in, in, in the face of, of that sort of level of insecurity. So. Clearly, it's 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 a, it's a it's a major problem, and 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 it's not just Total who were, who were impacted. Uh, Exxon and um, the Italian company Eni are, are also in, working in, a, in, a, in an adjacent block, um, and they had plans for for an onshore plant and an and an offshore plant. So the uh, the floating LNG plant started up uh, a few months ago. Um, in, a, in, a, in a in a sign of of how quickly things can get done if you're if you're, if you're willing to throw money at a, at a problem offshore but the but the onshore part of the puzzle has been much more challenging um so there is there have been talks about uh about more uh more flng units but obviously that 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 skips a lot of the benefits that would that would be seen by by local people local contractors local workers so the idea now that uh, that Exxon is, is is rethinking its its, its plans to, to to build a plant onshore is is obviously a very positive one Exxon's provided some some caveats. It said, obviously, you know, if there's if, there's, if there are insecurity problems, then you know it, it wouldn't be able to move ahead. But it's 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 clearly a, a real sort of expression of interest, and and it, and it also follows uh, some 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 recent talk from Total and some of Total's contractors about about a return to work this year. So obviously, we don't know anything about an, an FID for, for, for Exxon's plant, but it, it, it certainly seems promising. And I think also, you know, the, the in, in seeming recognition, I suppose, of, of the kind of the current uh, LNG crisis. Don't know if you've noticed it, Asda, but we all uh, we all want gas from, from new sources these days. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, Exxon seems to have scaled up its plans. So 
it's now talking about sort of about uh, I think 18 million tons of, uh, of, of capacity so it all seems very promising so uh, we will have to see how things move ahead yeah it, it looks it does look quite uh, well interesting positive um, total keen to get back to work this stuff out with with Exxon in in terms of of getting the contractors for this though and, and getting these tenders in I mean to what extent would security concerns continue to be a barrier, do you think, Ed? I know there's a finance issue here too, which I'm sure we'll get into, but maybe to tackle that piece firstly. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, look, I think I think the security question is really kind of at the heart of the of, of the problems that, that Exxon is, is facing. Uh, and so there, there have been a number of, of, of efforts to try and improve security. So there's a, there's a sort of a Southern African force with South Africa kind of playing a, a lead role where they've, they've, they've essentially sort of flown troops in. And, and there's always a sort of a, you know, a feeling that, you know, about how long running that kind of commitment is. And that's slightly unclear. But there is, you know, there, there are sort of troops on the ground who aren't just uh, Mozambique forces. And I think also there is also there's a there's a contribution from uh, Rwanda who, who, who've also sent their own sort of uh, police military forces to the area to sort of also sort of provide sort of further support so there, there, there are these sort of two big kind of uh, forces trying to make things better and there have been some successes but there have also been some uh, you know kind of continued uh, terrorist challenges so i mean i think there there have been continued strikes in in new areas so obviously the 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 insurgency is fluid in some ways and is and is is Moving away from, uh, from 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 areas that, that have these this kind of beefed up security, so I think I think the answer is that there is a degree of of insecurity that is continuing, and I think that the kind of the question is uh, to what extent uh, those kind of security guarantees can be given. Uh, it, it seems unlikely that the insurgency is going to be cured. You know that, it, that these people are going to you know give up their fight, but it's a question of of, of how much security can be given to you know the the sort of the 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 IOCs operating in the area and and, and to what extent uh, local concerns can be assuaged because i think there is a real problem around around local communities who seem to be acting in some degree to uh, to to support uh, this insurgency so i think there's a, it's a sort of a it's it's, it's not a, not a clear cut solution but it feels like things are getting better and there's there's a real obvious desire to uh, get more LNG. Obviously, you know the world needs it, but I think it would be transformative also for uh, for, for Mozambique's economy. Fantastic. I mean, and also uh, as as you put out point out in your in your piece, said uh, that other project for well, Mozambique LNG that secured uh, uh, well a, a whopping amount of money to to get that project ahead. But this uh, this Rovuma project that might be a different story what can you tell us about that yeah so i mean i think it, it's, it's it's interesting isn't it how the world has changed since uh that sort of 2019 sort of financing close for uh for for, for mozambique lng and, and obviously the the financing for mozambique lng was itself the subject of a sort of long-running uh legal battle in the uk we've seen uh various legal actions against the government against uk export finance to try and um, you know, sort of halt this 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 financing. So far, that's been sort of unsuccessful. Um, but it seems likely that uh, the, this new plan, review LNG, the cost is going to be into the billions. I mean, you know, sort of uh, Mozambique LNG is probably about twenty billion. So you know, it's going to be something in that sort of an area. 
where is that money going to come from? There, there, there are going to be some. There's going to be some degree of, of, of bank finance, but the question is, which banks are going to be wanting to kind of put up that sort of money into into a project that has obviously got local community issues and is also going to contribute to you know global emissions. So I think there there, there is a there is going to be a, a challenge around around how they, uh, they they kind of you know seal that financing deal and it, it it feels to me like you know European banks are more and more uh, uncertain about about that sort of uh, financing support. I mean I think in, in, in the story I mentioned two banks have already said that they would not be interested and and there were there was sort of you know comments that that more would also be uncertain. So I think that the, the mood has certainly changed. It's going to be a challenge. Uh, I mean, you know, would uh, U.S. banks be, be be available? Would uh, you know, perhaps Chinese? I mean, I think you know, there is there, well, there's a will, there's a way, but it's it, it's not going to be smooth sailing. It just comes across with, with all these factors together. It just comes across as quite a well, to a layman anyway, quite a risky kind of project. But I mean, again, as you've alluded to, that the world has changed. There is this scramble for energy supply and I'm, I'm guessing that's probably what's playing into the mind of exxon mobil and it's coming to move ahead with this project yeah 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 i mean i think that's the thing isn't it i think i think it's that that drive for lng and obviously this sort of the access to resources i mean i think we're you know we're clearly seeing you know new developments new fids coming from the us uh there's 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 more lng coming from qatar in the next few years but you know there's there's kind of clearly global demand for it and the ability for companies to kind of get access to that sort of scale of resources is 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 obviously challenged so i think i think i suppose you know the the interesting way it's going to work out is um you know does exxon go ahead with this this onshore plant or you know is there scope for more uh, floating lng right that's been raised as a possibility it avoids that kind of onshore problem it you know it 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 seems to be a, maybe a sort of a bit of a sort of a simpler sell but obviously costs are high you can't expand and 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 obviously there would be fewer benefits to uh, to Mozambique because you wouldn't need the same degree of local workers so it feels like FLNG is 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 clearly still on the table, but um, you know, onshore would, uh, would 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 solve a lot of problems for Exxon. Fantastic. Okay, thanks, Ed. We'll keep an eye on developments uh, at Ravuma, and I'm delighted to say that uh, digital journalist Hamish Penman has joined us. Hello, Hamish. Morning. Uh, yeah, IT issues, and I see we've got Caroline back. It's it's bright and breezy outside. I mean, it seems like summer 2023 is going to be very similar to summer 2022. <laughs> And the strikes to come. Well, I mean, there we are. <laughs> a positive morning. And I would never uh, pull the curtain back on t- technical issues, on energy voice. That's a ridiculous <laughs> thing to say. No, of course. It happens all the time. I'm so sorry. Okay, uh, so we're, we're now off to the North Sea for some big HSE questions after this. In a world where the scarcity of key resources is starting to be felt and the impact of climate change is all too apparent, sustainable growth is no longer a choice, it is a necessity. Sustainable Growth Voice is a new online publication championing individuals and organisations that are pushing sustainable growth forward, making a positive impact on the environment, society and the economy. From innovative technologies solving sustainability challenges to social enterprises promoting inclusive growth and transformative policy initiatives, SG Voice covers the fundamental drivers at the heart of the new sustainable economy. Join the conversation that the world needs now. Visit SG Voice for knowledge, inspiration and insight from across the sustainable growth landscape. So 
so now we've got, yes, some more details on a serious incident involving a helicopter in the North Sea a few weeks ago, but also a rather rare and refreshing acknowledgement, I think, that this industry tends to be pretty slow to talk about safety feelings and maybe needs to be a bit bolder if it is serious about sharing these and making it all a bit safer to work in. And I was at the OEUK's, OEUK's HSE conference in Aberdeen this week, and it, it kicked off broadly as expected, some discussion of ways to improve shared learning, a lot of rhetoric, not too much by way of teeth to the story, which is all too often the case with these things. However, then uh, Mary Finney, the HSE director at Total Energies, came on and very candidly, and I think quite surprisingly, put up a video, which we had on our website a couple of weeks ago, of the blades being snapped off of a helicopter on Total's Elgin platform during Storm Auto. And these blades, they, they came off in about 100 mile per hour winds, and it happened whilst workers were still on the helideck. They were trying to secure the aircraft. They were afraid it was rocking so much that it would fall into the North Sea. So she was candid. Uh, someone could have died, uh, she told the conference. And I, I thought that was quite rare, frankly surprising, discussion of such a recent HSE incident. That seemed to be the consensus of the room too. Normally we're talking, you know, months or, or even years before operators would be speaking so openly about this kind of thing. And you might argue, okay, Total principal sponsor at this event, expected to talk about HSE, and they just had this incident a few weeks ago, and they would perhaps be seen as hypocritical to talk about safety lessons and not discuss it. Nonetheless, um, I really hadn't expected that. So when she showed the video, there was this feeling of surprise, and, and the reason for sharing it, uh, as, as she said, to improve engagement in the industry, even when it's uncomfortable, even when there's a fear of judgment, to kind of share these lessons to make everyone a bit safer, really. And they were discussing discussing their decision on whether or not to share the footage. The, we, the reason why that they shared, the, the footage kind of emerged because they ultimately took the decision to share it with their their workers um, over Teams. At that point, of course, it could be filmed, put out online, and that's ultimately how it ended up on our website. Um, but, you know, something going wrong. There's a lot of risk to hiding that. Uh, and does hiding it actually help people? And, you know, they could have kept it to those in the boardroom, those who had seen the CCTV footage and, and no further. And some of the other considerations she talked about that they had, how did the workers on the Elgin who experienced it, how would they feel about it? Would this, releasing this footage, would it undermine the investigation? And apparently uh, Nicolas Payer, the new MD at Total Energies UK, was the one who made the call and said they should put the footage out there to basically show the risk was real. So as I say, they did the stand-down for safety moment with staff over teams, showing them the footage, which ultimately led to it being released more widely online. And they said that they released it with the consent of the helicopter operator. I'd have loved to have heard that conversation. Um, you know, the, the helicopter operator, it could be the case that they'll still be, uh, they'll come out of it pretty poorly. They may not, but they, they could in some way or the other by the AAIB report to come. Someone ultimately did make the decision to fly out knowing that that weather was coming. Um, so we'll see. But really, I think, you know, this was the right call. It, it went wrong, um, but good to see companies putting their monies where their mouths are and in terms of, you know, safety lessons. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it's 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 interesting and 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 quite revealing, isn't it? I mean, I think as you say, Alistair, it it, it feels uh, unprecedented to see this level of disclosure. I, I suppose um, the, the the question is, you know, do you think that uh, do you think other companies will follow? 
and 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 will they, as a result, improve uh, safety? Well, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think as, as far as I'm aware, step change in safety, the, it's kind of a, an adjacent group um, to like OE UK, um, focused on safety. Obviously, they do have these forums, and I'm pretty sure they they tend to share a lot of these things pretty regularly. Um, so I thought there was a degree of openness, but I, I guess where this maybe goes a step further is a they took the, the the they made the choice to kind of show it to their workers more broadly they they relinquished control of it at that stage and to speak about it in such a public forum where the new media were attending that that seemed again another kind of escalation above and beyond what would normally be expected um and it, it, you know Steve Ray uh, he's a Piper Alpha survivor he heads up step change in safety I wasn't listening to his uh, session, our, our reporter Ryan Duff was, and covered him. And he said, paraphrasing slightly, but basically, you know, we should be ashamed if we're not sharing these things because, you know, we're concerned of what our lawyers might say, etc. You know, safety should come first. That's what the industry keeps saying. So to answer your question, Ed, I, I would hope so. Um, but I think um, calling this unprecedented, it's, it, I'm not sure it is, but it, it feels it. Um, I'm not sure every operator is going to be brave enough to to do this. You know, um, I, I think it ultimately was the right call from Total. Um, you know, there are plenty of, there are many, many HSC incidents that there is not this kind of level of transparency. Um, you know, you just need to look at our our website over the past you know few weeks, few months, and uh, you know you can see things that you know that well. Firstly, they slip through the radar occasionally. Um, and we find, we pick them up with HSE notices or from other means. Sometimes workers will whistleblow, but you know I, I wouldn't say there's ever been this degree of huge openness. Certainly in the public forum, um, you know, perhaps it doesn't behoove the industry to do that. If you do it too many times, it, it you know perhaps it perhaps sends the wrong message. But you know if if they're serious about sharing safety lessons. Perhaps this isn't such a bad blueprint to go from. It's a good win for Steve Ray as well, in a way, because he. I was at this conference last year and I've heard him speak quite a few times. Um, and he's always really hammers home the point of, you know, tell stories. We need to kind of have these tangible examples of what can happen so that people are left in no doubt as to the, the seriousness of health and safety offshore and, and what can happen when, when things go wrong. But yeah, I mean, fair play to Total, Total Energies. I don't think a lot of their uh, counterparts would have done the same um willing to be proved wrong on that but yeah i mean when you when you were up at the conference and pointed out that the two um kind of blots next to the helicopter were people that had been people that had been shrouded out rather than what we both thought were um raindrops on the camera it's quite remarkable. Incredibly lucky. I mean, do you know what happened to the the blades as well? Are they now swimming with the fishes at the the bottom of the North Sea? Yeah, that's that's both good points to raise there, uh, Hamish. I mean, yeah, the the footage. You know, to be clear, when I say Total Energies released the footage, they did not release it to the media. Uh, we had to get that through kind of back channels. So it wasn't obvious necessarily. I don't think that those grey blobs were anything more than rain on the camera. Obviously, it was during the middle of a storm. But she made the point that, yeah, we grayed out those workers. And if you look closely in the video, you can actually see it moving about. And it, it clearly is workers now that you know. Um, so, I mean, yeah, look, that's hugely, hugely dangerous. Um, I think I understand the protocol would have been to strap down the helicopter earlier. Um, that's what people have told me. But we'll wait and see what the AIB report says about that. And we'll certainly find out what they say about 
whether the the company should have even been flying out about that time. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, a warning light came on, I think, after it had landed safely, but they would have had weather forecasts. So, you know, we'll we'll see what it says about that. Um, and yeah, in terms of where the blades are, I don't know. Um, certainly the video seems to show them flying towards the platform, or one of them anyway. I'm sure some of some the rest of them probably are in the drink. Um, but again, hopefully more details we will get when the the accident investigation branch uh, comes through. I think I think the other maybe point I'd quickly make is that they were kind of concerned about what would uh, you know what would the workers who were involved in this think about it. And it, it, in terms of incentive, maybe incentivizing these kinds of sharing these kinds of lessons, she said, what she said is that they were they were hugely kind of appreciative, grateful, you know, respect. They respect the fact that they were brave enough to speak about this openly and, and share it. Um, I think the workforce kind of recognizes how rare that is. And, uh, you know, if if the industry really is putting safety first, then maybe they need to be brave enough to, you know, it's easy for me to say that coming from sitting from the microphone here, but you know, if if things go go wrong, uh, it, it's not necessarily the best move to try to hide or obfuscate it, um, especially if it comes back to bite you later. Um, and if you can do more and, and take a win like Total has here by actually you know sharing it and making maybe making things a bit safer for everybody, then you know more power to them. So we'll uh, we'll leave Storm Auto there, but we are staying with the North Sea for. Well, another bad weather event, a tsunami of strike action, right after this. Scotwind was intended to drive the deployment of around 11 gigawatts of offshore wind, helping Scotland meet its decarbonisation goals and driving economic growth. Yet the auction resulted in an offshore wind pipeline three times that that was expected, and that is going to bring both new opportunities and challenges. In this first episode of the second series of Gigawaters, brought to you by Sustainable Growth Voice and Energy Voice Out Loud, in paid partnership with Orsted, we're going to explore what needs to happen for the Scott Wind project to meet its goals. Nicholas Ritchie, Development Director for Stromar, and Richard Britton, Global Head of Offshore Wind at Renantis, talk us through how we might meet those challenges and set the project up for long-term success. This first episode is out now. Okay, uh, Ed Reed has had to leave us. He just he couldn't uh, wait to get out and see the, the city of Glasgow. He's off to stick that traffic cone on top of the statue and maybe get a Glasgow roll. But we are we are here with Hamish Penman. And, and Hamish, we've got a lot of unrest in the works for the North Sea. And, well, that's maybe an understatement. But tell us, what's the latest? Yeah, I think um, everyone in there, to quote a line from Hot Fuzz, everyone and their mums are going on strike at the moment, it seems, um, around... 1,500 North Sea workers employed by the likes of Billfinger, Stork, Wood, Petrofac, um, across assets owned by the likes of BP, CNR, Taka, Harbour, Ithaca, to name but a few. Um, I'm sure there's others in the mix there as well. There's some that have been named and there will be others that will undoubtedly be impacted, such as the scale of the unrest. Um, so Unite, which has been the most um, vocal union on this strikes, on these strikes specifically, sorry, though I understand the RMT, uh, have also balloted members, have, as have the GMB. They're obviously um, members of the Energy Services Agreement as well. Um, but Unite's warning specifically that work on scores of platforms could grind to a halt, um, energy security could be risked, and maintenance backlogs could increase. And as we've just been saying, that's a, a phrase that always makes the hairs stand up on the, the back of the neck of industry 
Um, so according to Unite, this is the biggest mandate it's ever received for the offshore sector in a generation. Um, be curious to have a look at the, the last huge period of unrest and what sparked that. Um, and it's interesting because last week OE UK put out a release about the energy services agreement, said that operators, uh, contractors, representatives and unions had all got around the table and said they were particularly committed to the ESA and finding a... Uh, a way forward for all parties um, that's obviously not come to pass so to put these figures into context um, OEUK's workforce report from last year said there are around 11,500 people living and working in the North Sea at any one time now obviously all of these 1500 workers won't be on strike at once but we're still talking about significant percentiles of the workforce that will be downing tools at any one time in the North Sea. Um, United General Secretary Sharon Graham she issued quite a long quote um, just to take part of it. Uh, oil and gas companies have been given free reign to enjoy massive windfall profits in the North Sea. Drilling concessions are effectively licenses to print money. 14,000 offshore workers, it was 14,000 at that point, and then um, Petrofat workers announced they'd be striking also a couple of days later. 1,400, yeah. 1,400, sorry, yeah. And now set to take strike action against these employers who are raking it in but refusing to give them a fair share of the pie. So in those huge profits that we've talked about on here have reported extensively on online, being posted by, by your shells and the like, they're particularly useful to unions in a way. They're, they're figures that have been reported widely. There's no hiding from them for companies. They can't say we don't have the financial wherewithal to be dishing out pay rises though also these are employees in, that work for contractors rather than for operators themselves um more widely in the uk kind of to look at this as a in, a in a more macro context inflation has gone up again so the real ways that people take home has therefore dropped albeit slightly um and and so i think skill shortages are really key here too we've heard from so many companies that they're really struggling to attract staff that they've got huge unplugged job vacancies Yet the UK's unemployment rate is at historic lows, but there's no real economic growth or wage growth to speak of. So something isn't functioning. And it's well documented that a lot of kind of middle-aged to older folk have left the workforce during and after COVID. So it gives current employees just more bargaining power. They're more better ability to go to them to their to their bosses and say, we demand a higher wage because their function is, is more valuable and, and, and firms don't have the pick of a an abundant and, and flexible labour market. So there's a, a lot of kind of driving factors behind this, but we've not got a, a firm date yet on when these will be happening. So that does open the door to the potential of them being resolved before it comes to a head. But should it come to a head, then we're uh, braced for a, a pretty turbulent few weeks. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting time. I, I'm, I probably would be uh, the most unrest we've seen in a generation uh, based on those figures, uh, Hamish. Yeah, the, the ESA, um, it, I don't know whether, I'm sure the people who are signing it do believe that you know they're all committed to it. I, I just feel like, it does felt like when they put that press release out last week, we're kind of past this point now, guys. You know, we've seen inflation, as you say, Hamish, the skills shortage. As you say, the pay packages of major uh, oil firm CEOs. You know, I just I think in terms of the the worker sitting out there seeing his wages and or her wages, um, probably that doesn't hold a great deal of water at this point um, in terms of stopping them from taking action. 
I think I think there's an important point there too uh, that not all of the dates will line up at the same time. So presumably, hopefully, that doesn't mean a massive impact to production in the UK. Um, you know, so that's probably uh, some kudos and points to the unions there for making that distinction and, and not jeopardizing that side of it. Um, I guess, yeah, they, they work, as you said again, Hamish, for contractors directly. Um, I do think maybe to play devil's advocate a bit here, Unite, <clears throat> Unite and BP, you know, Unite and the unions may point out the profits of a shell, etc. And I think what Shell would probably, or a BP would say to that is, well, you know, th- this is a matter for the the contractors. They're employed by the contracting companies, you know. So it's perhaps using a big name to emphasize a point, but whether the minutia of the detail really weighs up together with that, I think is another matter. Not all of the profits of oil majors are from the UK, quite the opposite. And I suppose the other thing that maybe is worth mentioning here, I mean, looking at the, the detail of each of the individual uh, companies striking, there's quite a lot of discussion about 3-3 rotas, which is kind of a hangover of the last couple of downturns, Hamish. What what do you make of that? Yeah, it's certainly one that gets, gets flagged in a lot of the disputes, but not all of them. Um, I think a long-standing point that unions and industry have made of the the impact that that can have on on workers' mental health specifically, and also they've also mooted it as perhaps going back to a two-two, which I believe is the the kind of norm in Norway would be a good way to try and attract people back to the industry. It would make make going back offshore a far more attractive proposition, especially for those middle-aged to older workers who who might have left the workforce, who might have just gone on to do something else because they want more time with their family and interestingly is it sparrows i think that um they have actually resolved their disputes um with unite by giving workers three weeks um more holiday which seems to be a lot the way that a lot of companies are going down instead of issuing direct pay increases you actually just reduce the the amount that people are working so it's it's a, a a kind of pay increase in all but name um Interestingly, when I think it was back in July, when when strikes were strikes on such a scale were were announced um, on the Norwegian continental shelf, Norwegian government actually stepped in and and cancelled them, ordered ordered people to go back to work because of the risk to energy security. Now, at that point, Norway was doing everything it could to to step up to fill the gas void that was left by by Russian imports. So they exercised this this clause. I think it is that 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 made that that nullified the strikes and 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 yeah, forced workers back to platforms. Now I have spoken to kind of legal experts in the last few weeks about whether this could potentially happen in the UK. There's no mandate for it, and it doesn't seem like the government have got the power to do so. That there is this bill going through at the moment that some have dubbed the anti-strikes bill, but it's far more focused on transport and, and healthcare and things like that you, you know there's those those things that perhaps affect people's everyday lives in a in a more real way although i'm sure they'd notice it if their energy suddenly suddenly uh, turned off so i don't think we're going to see a, a similar similar situation happen here but it's quite interesting that there is that that president that's that's um for the North Sea, that's ha- that's happened a few, few hundred miles away. I, w- I won't I won't quote myself here, but I, I think I'm pretty sure um, Norway has much more stringent. Um, well, I think much more supportive labour laws actually overall than 
the UK does in terms of protecting workers, but it sounds there that they also have much more uh, stringent um, rules around oil and gas supply. And of course, Norway has such an important role, not just in terms of the UK's energy security, but also uh, Europe. And you can see that through the deals that have been done in recent weeks and months just to try to replace that Russian gas to some extent. So, okay, well, we will leave that there. Thank you, Hamish. And I'll say thanks on behalf of Ed. He's just sent me a selfie of him sticking that uh, traffic cone on top of the Duke of Wellington statue. So he's going to be kicked out of Glasgow before long. That is it for this latest episode of Energy Voice Out Loud. We'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.